Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. It is a good morning. The sun is shining. The cows are chirping. Gorgeous morning in Denver, Colorado, and I got Chad back in the saddle. What's up, dude? What's How are up, you? my friend? How are you? How was your weekend? Weekend was good, man. Weekend was good. Uh, took a little time to uh, enjoy my daughter down in Austin. I had the Baylor game this weekend. Baylor blew out Albany 69-10. Zach buys boys up at uh, U Albany, as they call it up there. Um, so that game wasn't exactly uh, great uh, material on the field, but... My daughter lives in Austin, so I drove back and forth uh, from the production meetings and the game back and forth to Austin, spent some time with her this weekend, and uh, as a dad who doesn't get to see his daughter all the time, it was fantastic. So the game that you called, 69-10. to 10. Correct. Uh, any players in there stand out as, as potential NFL players? Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's some great defensive linemen up front uh, and offensive linemen up front for Baylor. Question mark about Baylor going to the season was their skill positions. They had a bunch of young guys replacing uh, the guys from last year. There were only six catches returned to the wide receiver room. The running back room lost uh, 2,400 yards of rushing production. But the offensive-defense lines were the key to those to that team last year. And it turns out they are going to probably be the key to this team this year. And their quarterback, uh, Blake Shapin, stepped up and was really good uh, on Saturday as well. So, but it was uh, against Albany. But it was against Albany. You so, know, take it with a grain of salt. But uh, that offense and defensive line units, they, some of those guys will play in the league for sure. And what about uh, what about Albany? Because uh, <laughs> a, a, a school like that, uh-huh. you know, their superstars get a chance to play against um, better competition on, on a stage where, hey, if I can make plays against this team, someone's going to notice, right? Did Albany have any players that made a They made had a impact? linebacker uh, with a perfect linebacker named Jackson Ambush. Wow. Yes. That's a great name. Yeah. Uh, and Jackson, wow. Jackson Ambush can play some football. No doubt about that. And they've got another defensive end who's got some uh, some skill to him. they got a couple of tight ends, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, who are kind of those mismatch kind of guys. Um, yeah. you know. But overall, as you would expect, with a school that's only got 65 scholarship limit, lower division football, playing a, a team that's got way more than that in Baylor, the depth was a difference. The special teams were a difference. Uh, I mean, there's, and there's just a difference all over the field. So, um, but I, I give Albany credit. They fought. They play. They brought whatever they could bring. It wasn't yep. a whole lot, but yeah. they brought it with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something. All right. So on these airwaves last week, a lot of our hosts were consternating on the fate of the CU Buffs. Ooh. And Zach put out a you know a two minute video about how bad they are uh-huh. and how, and how you, you got to hammer the under and you got to bet on them to win under two and a half games this season and. Well, the game kind of bore that out, but it didn't look that way at the beginning. Did you get a chance to watch the, the, the Buffs and the TCU horned, horned Frogs? I did. I did. What are your thoughts? Because it was 7-6 to six at halftime. It was. Um, but TCU made some adjustments, and the Buffs did not adjust back. Uh, defensively, the Buffs were just not physical enough. They just, you know, TCU ran the ball down their throat. They just ran the ball at them. Uh, the Buffs didn't have a true run-stopping inside linebacker to put on the field, and um, it was it was ugly. It was ugly, and you know, offensively, you know, two different quarterbacks played for the Buffs. Neither one of them was was great. One guy is still trying to figure his, his way out. Another guy tries too hard. So it's just it's 
a bad situation up there. It's just a bad situation. And as as much as I want to, you know, cheer for the bus and root for the bus, which I always will, uh, the the uphill climb that they face, not just against teams like TCU, but anybody uh, in the Pac-12, anybody who's a you know major college football program, is just going to be apparent. The the talent gap is is massive right now. So what's the answer for CU? How do, how do you get yourself out of this hole? I, man, I, I I cannot foresee, a, particularly with the current landscape of, of college football, because if you're a program like CU, you don't get transfers. People take your best players and transfer them out. You don't get guys because you don't have NIL money. Guys go leave you to go get better NIL money. So I'm not sure how the buffs actually get back anywhere near close to the glory days or becoming a perennial bowl team. I, I know how, Chad. Tell me how. Some of the um, wealthy boosters and alumni open up their wallets and pay some of these kids. Who are they? Who, I don't know. Identify them. Well, do you know a CU uh, alumni guy maybe who played there in the 90s, had a pretty good NFL career, maybe owns a shipping company and breeds reptiles? <laughs> there, There is that guy. Um, but You don't want to open your wallet and pay these kids. Uh, I'd be happy to participate in some kind of buffs collective to try to bring that back. Is there, uh, is there someone trying to spearhead that? Are uh, there people who reach out to you? Uh, there has been somebody who's reached out to me, but it's nothing like, say, you know, obviously uh, a program like Tennessee and Alabama and Clemson and Texas A&M, they've got $30 million in their collective right now. Um, they're further ahead, and there's just so many boosters who are involved, small boosters who are giving up, you know, a grand a year, and there's also people who are putting in, you know, a couple hundred thousand bucks a year. Uh, Miami has John Ruiz, the booster, the billionaire booster down there. He's paying their incoming quarterback, freshman quarterback, $9.3 million for his NIL deal. 9.3, man. That's insane. So, you know, until the Buffs get that kind of booster and that kind of uh, NIL presence as far as dollars, why would a kid choose to go to Boulder over other options? And then why would he choose to stay in Boulder over other options? So what about the in-state recruits? Why can't Boulder get the kids who born and bred in Colorado? Because uh, the kids in Colorado. Look it's all at, about money? It's, well, there's a money aspect, but Buffs and CSU have not been very good recently. So therefore, in-state kids, I guess outside of their dad, you know, having some kind of tie and, and love for Boulder or Fort Collins, they go other places. You got to, even with in-state, you got to win in-state to win the best recruits in your state. Um, so the, 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 the state of the program is what it is. And college football is, is unique because in the NFL, clearly, you suck, you get first draft pick. And college football is the opposite way. If you're not very good, then you get the worst recruits. The best continue to get better and you continue to fall back. That's what makes the bus situation so difficult now because in the past, oh, you get a charismatic head coach and you bring the kids up to Boulder, you can show them Boulder, and it's great. But now there is, even if you get the kids to Boulder, there's no guarantee that they'll stay because someone's going to offer them more money or greener pastures as far as football. And there's kids making college decisions that are based purely on the NIL deals. They don't even want to visit the campus. Show me the money. Don't even talk about the campus. Don't even show me campus, yo. Straight cash, homie. Pay me. How much are you going to make me? How much are you going to pay me? What was your freshman year? What year? 1988. 1988. What sold you on being a... A Colorado buff. Um, Coach McCartney, the number of players that they brought in from the state of California, players who I who went to programs and I knew and respected, guys like J.J. Flanagan, guys like Eric Bieniemy, guys like Darian Hagan, 
Um, Hagen was my same year. He was considered the you know the best athlete in the state of California. Uh, so when he started talking to the Buffs, I was like, okay, they're building something special out there. They're they're getting not only just you know the last couple of years of good players, but they're getting the best player in the state of California. Uh, my senior season, so uh, it was the combination of Coach McCartney, the recruits that they were getting out of California, who I knew and recognized, and the fact that I had family in town. My mom uh, really wanted me to have someone. Uh, in town who I, who I knew and loved. My aunt lived here. So is Carl Durrell not the man for the job to inspire out-of-state guys to want to come here, to create the kind of juice, the the anticipation, the energy around the program? Uh, I'm unwilling to say, you know, uh, that Carl's not the guy. I got a lot of respect for Carl. Coach for Carl, when we were both with the Jets, he was the wide receivers coach, and I was doing my uh, outside linebacker internship with Kevin Green out there. So I got a chance to see Carl in action. I thought he was a very, very good coach. Um, I haven't, you know, sat in the living room with him and heard his recruiting pitch. Um, but again, the recruiting landscape is, you know, more than just having a charismatic head coach. What kind of money can you offer, man? Um, and the Buffs just simply just can't compete with that either. It's just it just boils down to that I, money. I don't know if it boils down to that. That is the the biggest part of it. But I know for a fair percentage of recruits, that is a number one driver of their decision. Well, that's a bummer, Chad. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It bums me out considerably. Yep. Some they got to put their minds together and uh, and figure out a way to get this program turned around. So you weren't here Friday, and uh, you didn't have the opportunity to react to some of Russell Wilson's presser after inking his big deal with the Broncos. We're going to do that, and we're going to do it next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. I had an amazing first you know, decade of my career, and the next decade um, I'm really excited about. And so to me, what it's really about is, is being able to win championships and being able to have enough space in the salary caps for George to make his magic. And we can get guys like maybe Gregory when he comes on the team or other great players, you know. And um, I, I think that we, we want to make this a destination location. And uh, I think what's important, too, is making sure that you surround yourself around amazing players. And so for me, you know, I, I love these guys, man. We've we had them in a blast. It's been an amazing joy. And so for me, it wasn't really about, you know, how much necessarily. It was about how many, how many Super Bowls we can win. And that's really uh, the focus. It ain't about how much, Chad. It's about how many. How many Super Bowls the Broncos are going to win under Russell Wilson. Chad, the idea was that Russell Wilson had the leverage. He was going to squeeze him for every drop, take him to the woodshed, by all accounts, he didn't do that, Chad. So did Russell Wilson pass his first test with flying colors? Oh, man. Uh, I guess so. I, I, I guess so. He certainly left some money on the table. I think with the incredible amount of leverage that he had considering the draft capital and player capital uh, George Payton gave up to get him, there was an opportunity for Russ and his team to squeeze the Broncos for, for more dollars. How many more dollars? Um, what, what are we talking here? You know, like the, in the grand the, scheme of things? The Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson deal stands yeah. out. But, so, it, but but isn't the league kind of pretending that doesn't exist? They are. Yeah. They are. But that is still the, the precedent-setting deal that's out there. That's what uh, I believe Lamar Jackson is going for. Yeah, I um, get it. <laughs> at the same time, you can't ignore it. The league is trying its best to act like that. That doesn't exist, and we're just going to ignore that. That that deal is so far out of whack, we're not going to pay attention to that. Um, well, with the leverage that Russ had, they could have forced – George Payton and the Walton Penner group to pay attention to that deal. Yeah. 
They could have played hardball. Um, but the fact that Russ took less money, um, and, you know, obviously it's it's semantics at this point. Less money is relative because he's got 50 million bucks in his pocket now when the extension doesn't kick in for two years. Right. So uh, I, I think all of this would take less money if you get 50 million bucks today. Um, what, 160 million guaranteed on that thing? So yep. it's a tremendous amount of money. Uh, so less money is definitely relative to uh, everyone else's perspective on money out there. But to your, to Paul, to answer your question, yes, he passes the test for me. This thing is here is not about maximizing dollars, although it clearly is as far as off the field endorsements and all that other stuff. It is about, um, trying to find a way to win a Super Bowl. And in the end, I think if you want to maximize your dollars off the field, you win Super Bowls. Right. If you take every small commercial now, you may feel like you're maximizing today's dollars, but you're really passing up on tomorrow's because it, advertisers want a winner. They want a Super Bowl champion. That's where all that money is going to come from, from all the big corporations, the McDonald's, the Sprites, the Subways. You don't get that being the Super Bowl loser. You get that being the Super Bowl winner. So Russell Wilson is rightly passing up some money in his contract to get some Super Bowl victories under his belt, um, and which would then maximize his off-the-field dollars. So he's going to make more money in the long run if, it, he, if, he, if he allows the Broncos some wiggle room to sign guys like Randy Gregory, like he mentioned, and build the kind of team that's going to win Super Bowls. He's going to make more money off the field. I believe so, yes. Yeah, and so... Um, Okay, because this presser was very long. He answered a lot of questions, but he also answered them very robustly. <laughs> robustly, and, I like your term. Yeah, I mean, and somebody texting in about all the cliches, and and um, there's a lot of cliches in here. A couple of them um, I wrote down. Um, let's see, where are they? Uh, people ask me how I can do it. How can I not do it? <laughs> in the midst of chaos... You have to have a simple mind. Mm. Yes, Grasshopper. Only feed what you need. <laughs> you get to choose. No one else chooses for you, and I get to wake up every morning and make that choice. There's a lot of that stuff. Um, do you think that, well, do you think that's what has driven him all along, the ability to, the ability to simplify life into these soundbite type of cliches, hold on to those, take a big bite out of those, and just move forward with that in your mind as contrived uh as some of the cliches come across as hokey as they come across as come on man you we should all be you know a little further past this at this point um i to your point i think there is a there's a deep-seated belief by him that these are mantras to, to go by and sometimes you know, cliches can become a, a, a mantra for you, and you can derive something out of that that maybe others can't. Others can see it as corny and cliched, but you can peel back the layers and, and dig into the, the, the depth of it. So uh, I think Russell does that. And so when he says these things, they're not coming from a, oh, I'm at a loss for words. Let me just throw something out there to, you know, keep the the, the, the press conference rolling. And no, these are cliches that he says to himself in his mind that do motivate him and do drive him. So um, kudos to Russ for being able to look at life in such a pure way. Um, I suppose I'm a little bit more cynical um, and I don't necessarily think that's a better way to be. Um, so it's obviously working for Russ and we hope that whole Russ stuff works for the Broncos overall. 
So not only do I give him a tip of the cap for looking at life through that lens, I can see the success that comes from that lens. So uh, while I can push back on it for me, I see why it works for you. What is game week and the Broncos play in less than a week? On Monday night, September 12th in Seattle. The Broncos didn't play any of their starters in the preseason. Now, that's a decision that a lot of us were skeptical about because, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is, Chad, you got to practice something if you want to be good at it. Right. And you got to get, like, you know, like a band, right? When they rehearse for a show, they play the song <laughs> exactly how they're going to play it. Uh-huh. They don't just go, okay, now you're going to do this thing on the drums, and then, well, I'm going to do this guitar lick. No, they do it. And they do it exactly how they want it to sound in the show. They create a muscle memory for it, and then they go out and do it. The Broncos haven't done that. It's a philosophy. Nathaniel Hackett sold that to George Payton and uh, and the Broncos brass, and they hired him anyway. So they're going to see how it plays out. But if you were a defensive a defensive player on the, on the Seattle Seahawks, okay, and you understood the reality of what the Broncos are coming in with, you know they haven't played any starters. You know they have a new quarterback, a new coach, new system. You know the crowd is going to be on your side. How are you approaching this game mm. from a defensive player standpoint? Uh, how are you taking advantage of this team? That's that's the question when you were kind of working your way through that. I was trying to think of what can I do as a player on the field to make all those factors that you just ran down uh, somehow exacerbate them or make them uh, bigger factors in the game. Obviously, the crowd noise is, is going to be what it's going to be. The lack of rhythm from that offense because of lack of time together and full speed action, that's going to have an effect. But what can I do? Um, if we're jamming receivers, can we jam the receivers? Can we really pay attention to jams to try to throw off Russell Wilson's timing? He wants to he wants to put his back foot in the ground. He wants to release that football. If we're really, really focused on jamming and rerouting and disrupting timing on routes, maybe we can do that two out of every three pass plays. And we can force him to go to his second or third or fourth progression because those first guys are not where they're supposed to be uh, because of our our jamming techniques at the line of scrimmage. There's some things we can do structurally, but what can I do as an individual player other than having my mindset? I want to be disruptive to these guys who haven't played very much football. What about talking junk? Like, okay, let's say you're lining up across from Garrett Bowles. Um, I'm, I'm, and Garrett I'm, Bowles, you know, he he's he's a very good player, but right. maybe mentally he is a little unsure of how things are going to unfold with this new quarterback, with this new system. Would you try to get in his kitchen? Um, I know I try to come across as this nice guy uh-oh, who's all uh-oh, here it comes. soft. And no, no, man, I was a major Major trash talker. Oh. Major. 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 Seriously. That's five majors. Yes. I, I, every game. Every game. Every game. Okay. Yes. So let's let's break down the nuts and bolts of your trash talking. Uh-huh. Is it general stuff like, yeah, I just got you, man. I'm in your face, man. Or are you like researching this dude and be like, oh, I know about this and that. Or how's your pet Fluffy doing? And I'm going <laughs> to take Fluffy and I'm... How, how, do you, how do you go about it? What's your initially, mental process? Initially, it was just uh, your basic trash talking. Um, and then, you ain't uh, got nothing. Right. Uh, All day, baby. Shannon, pretty much. And then Shannon Sharp told me uh, we were playing the Broncos. When I get back to Colorado, I'm going to burn down your pet store. Oof. Oh, my gosh. And I, I got to admit, it like it took me aback. I was like, whoa, whoa. I'm not even in town. I can't even protect my store, man. What are you doing? Wow. So, so. From that point forward, I tried to start finding something personal. And John Randall, 
who was my teammate in Seattle, was clearly one of the best guys to ever do that, find something personal. He would mention it like as, as a quarterback was in his cadence, you know, how's your sister doing? You know, just stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. So uh, I adapted some John Randall-isms. Um, one of my favorite things was, you know, in Seattle when the, the crowd was loud, you know, like when we, they would break the huddle before the crowd started roaring when the quarterback under, came under center, I would tell the offensive tackle, you got to be a little scared right now, man. You got to be a little scared right now. You're not going to be able to hear the count. And the crowd would start roaring, like, you can't even hear me right now. Here I come. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of everything. Any way I could get under my opponent's skin, um, I definitely, definitely always look at the injury report. If you're out there with a bad wing, I want to know. You got a bad hand, bad wrist, I want to know. Why do you want to know that? Because if I, I want to be able to take advantage of you physically. And if you got something that's hurting. Do you mean like specifically, okay, uh, you know, if he's got a bad left shoulder, you want to go left? Or if he's got a bad left shoulder, you want to chop the shoulder? Uh, if you want to put that shoulder out there for me to chop it, it's getting chopped. Absolutely. I'm not looking to, I'm not looking to purposely injure you. But if I can affect the way you play for the rest of the game and you, if I can rush the way that it involves your left shoulder and I can tweak that thing or torque that thing and make you uncomfortable, oh, yeah, it's on. So you're trying to take advantage of their weaknesses. Every single time. And, Sun Tzu, baby. Sun Tzu. Right. And so it's, of war. it's not just watching film and seeing where their game is weak, but reading the injury report, report and seeing where their body has been weakened mm-hmm. by the game yes. and where, are, where they're vulnerable and where you can stick it in. Absolutely. Wow. Every single time. So you got you to think that every other player in the NFL, to an extent, is doing that. Even special teams players, we would sit all week watching our opponents. We would get a, you know, a breakdown at the beginning of the week about the guys and where they're from and how long they've been in the league. And, and you get a piece of paper on each guy. You, know, you get your profile in that, in that playbook of each dude you're going to go against. You know the guy you're going to be matched up against. And you can do your research and figure out where he's weak and uh, where to attack him. Oh, yeah. You try to hurt people in their hurt hole, whatever their hurt hole may be. That's the beautiful thing about sports, though, because the other guys are doing the exact same thing. Yeah. And they're going to meet on the field. There is a matchup that it doesn't involve Russell Wilson at all. And uh, I am really, really excited to see this matchup on September 12th between these two freaks of nature. We're going to get into those next. But first, Spilly is going to spill it. How do the Rockies fare? Tell us, Billy. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. What type of risk? Getting inside of people's heads like Garrett Bowles in an environment like they're going to see September 12th. You talked about Shannon Sharp saying some mean stuff to you, some extra mean stuff. Some texter texted in. Shannon Sharp also yelled Derek Thomas's fiance's phone number. On the field one time, and Derek Thomas went crazy. Yeah, DT got like three personal fouls in a row uh, trying to get at Shannon. So, yeah, Shannon, you know, clearly uh, is a talker, um, and it was a trash talker extraordinaire, no doubt about that. Um, to the texture says, I bet Chad Brown talked trash like Peyton Manning and Phillip Rivers. No, no, uh, there was no gosh darn. Um, well, there was, there was, there were swear words. There were, yeah, f words, uh, um, s words. Yes, uh, words that Marsha Brown, my school teacher mother, would not be very proud of. So there's a duality to you, Chad. There's there's a dude who crosses the stripes who um, does things that I'm not necessarily super proud of. Is that guy still in there? 
Just because I put my guns and swords up doesn't mean I still don't know where they're at. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't make Chad mad, you guys. <laughs> don't make Chad mad. Okay. There's a matchup that nobody's really talking about on Monday night. And uh, because we all want to see Russ cook. Right. right. We've been waiting to see Russ cook. But uh, meatloaf, what's it? spaghetti? Well, seafood, bouillabaisse. What's, what's he making? What was that last thing he said? Seafood bouillabaisse. 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 I don't know. Do you make uh, bouillabaisse meals? Uh, <laughs> isn't that a French some kind? I of don't know dish? what bouillabaisse is. Okay, all right. I'll have to look it up here in a break. So Russ wants to cook, and and he's probably going to at some point. But let's be honest here: this Broncos offense hasn't played together at all, and um, they're going to be playing together for the first time in a really really loud environment. Mm-hmm. Might take him a little while to get going. Who knows? But. There's a matchup that I personally can't wait to see on Monday night, and that's two freaks going head-to-head. It's got nothing to do with Broncos offense or Seattle defense. It's Pat Sertan versus DK Metcalf. Now, Pat Sertan was a rookie last year. He's 6'2", 202 pounds, and last year he had 14 passes defended, four picks, one of them returned for a 70-yard touchdown. Not only the stats, but he just looked like a man amongst boys especially in training camp. This guy was every day making plays. He's smooth as nut milk. <laughs> cool as the other side of the cucumber, Chad. But then you got DK Metcalf, uh, who who has been Russell Wilson's favorite target since DK arrived in 2019. In three years, he's made 216 catches for 3,170 yards and 29 touchdowns. 2020 was DK's best year. He had over 1,300 yards receiving. Last season, he took a little bit of a dip, but Russ was gone for a couple games, so that has something to to do with it. But DK is a is a type of physical player who can run by you, and if you if you forget about him or you know rest on your laurels one play, he can be right behind you for a seventy yard touchdown. Who do you see winning that matchup, Chad? DK is pretty good. DK is really good, actually. Not just pretty good, really good. He's a good contested ball catcher. Um, he's got more than just uh, the deep ball to him. Obviously, the the size thing is you know been on NFL fans' radar ever since uh, Pete Carroll took off his shirt to uh, match DK at that uh, combine meeting. Um, that, you know, you know, DMac wanted DK instead of Noah Fant. That would have been a great choice. Yeah, I was it, I was sitting in that week. This was three years ago or whatever it was, and um, and we were kind of analyzing what the Broncos should do with that first pick. And it was DK Metcalf. It was, oh, but it was also uh, Nikhil Harry. Ah, he wanted Nikhil too, Arizona State guy. And yeah. then it was Noah. And you know you can have your feelings about how Noah Fant worked out. He's now a Seattle Seahawk. Yeah, so I would put those uh, DK, Noah Fant, and then Nikhil Harry actually uh, third yeah. in, that, in that list there. But I, my concerns about DK coming out was he wasn't going to be a precise route runner. Just that size just makes it difficult to be nifty running your routes. Um, so, yeah, he's good on the D-ball. Uh, I wouldn't call him a polished route runner, but he's really good using his body for contested footballs, for contesting catches. Uh, so, Pastor Tan is going to have his work cut out for him. He's just so fast and so big and so strong. It's a difficult matchup for, I think, for any DB in the league. I think a lot of DBs are comfortable with a smaller guy who's nifty, um, but a big guy who can begin to body you out and you want to jam him at the line of scrimmage, who can, you know, create some separation just by shoving you in his pure strength. Uh, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough matchup. I don't think there's a quarterback on the field for Seattle who can help DK take advantage of 
the amount of times that he creates separation. So I think that's going to be the limiting factor to it all. Is DK will win his fair share of battles, but is Geno Smith going to be accurate enough or get through his progressions fast enough to be able to take advantage of the small bit of separation that DK gets away from Pat Sertan? You're telling me you don't think Geno could get him the rock? He can get him the rock, but not consistently enough. He's going to be looking at him, though. I mean, uh, he's got... You know, he's got DK. He's got Tyler Lockett. Yep. And who else are their weapons? I mean, that's DK's just signed a big contract, right? Mm-hmm. He, they are going to design plays to get it to DK. I mean, that is that is their game plan. It's got to be, right? It's going to be. But what do you – you know this. I mean, as a receiver, you getting open is not an, enough. Not only does the ball have to be accurate, the ball's got to be delivered at a specific time. Because the amount of separation is not going to be consistent all through the routes. The the most amount of separation is when you make that break and you are able to freeze that defender's feet for a, a microsecond and you make your cut. That's when the separation is the is the most. If that ball is not delivered then, but the, delivered a, a, a hitch or two later after that, the quarterback hitches in the pocket and the ball is delivered after that. Now that defensive back has had a chance to recover. And one of Patrick Tan's best uh, skill sets is his ability to recover. So if that ball is not on time and accurate, then Pat Sertan's too good. And, you know, you may target DK 12 times, but 12 times targets for five catches, and he's blanketed by Pat Sertan, and he doesn't catch the ball as he's running because the ball's not delivered on time and accurately, then, yeah, that's a win overall for the Broncos' defense and for Pat Sertan. During training camp, I had a Saturday show with John Davis, and we had Michael Ojemudia uh-huh. on the show, and I was asking him about just kind of, the intricacies of playing the cornerback position, uh, technique when you're facing a big receiver versus a small receiver. And I asked him which type of receiver gave him more fits. Was it a small receiver or a big receiver? He said he has more problems with small receivers. Okay. He likes the big receivers because you can get your hands on them and they're not going to shake you, you know, and you can run with them. And, um, and so I'm sure every corner has a different type of preference, but for a guy like Pastor Tan, he's probably not too afraid of the big guys because he is a big guy. I don't see Pastor Tan having a ton of ton of trouble staying with DK Metcalf on the underneath stuff and the route running stuff. I do think DK is a better route runner than we thought he would be. But to me, the real threat of DK Metcalf is getting behind you. Yeah, and uh, and you've kind of getting lulled to sleep, and it's in the third quarter, and he gets stronger as the game goes on. Seems like so. I do see Pastor Tan being able to handle DK underneath. Hard to tell what the game plan is going to be though. I, yeah, uh, week one I think is is the outlier, you know, amongst NFL teams, just because teams, you know, so so many teams don't play their starters. Therefore, you get no glimpse at what they're going to do. And obviously, they're going to they're come in with a special package for week one. And coach has been working on this all off season long, whatever the special package may be. So you have to be prepared as a coaching staff to keep things as a defense as a defense fairly vanilla to be able to deal with whatever special package your opponent has. So for the Broncos, yeah, you can, you know, obviously you're going to have coverages where you want to double DK and double Tyler Lockett, but you're going to still have to have a list of uh, adjustments that come off of that because be careful, the Seahawks aren't just going to go out there and keep it simple. They're going to have a special package that they've worked on all offseason just to try to take advantage of the Broncos' style of defense. Aren't they going to keep it simple, though, because of who they have under center? They've had a competition between Geno and Drew. They seem to be following the Vic Fangio playbook of let's let's lean on our defense and play a conservative-style offense and run the, and run the ball. Uh, 
Isn't that what they're going to try to do? Uh, you know what? You know what, Chad? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We got Andrew Mason coming up next. We're going to ask him that. That's next. Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Well, while we effort Andrew Mason's presence on on Chad and Nate, for the break, Chad, I posited this question. Can you, because you were talking about game plans being pretty simple going into this game. Can the Broncos D rely on a pretty simple game plan for the Seattle Seahawks, or do they have to be prepared for some complexity, some trickeration, some something that they you know is out of the box? They have to be prepared for trickeration from Seattle. That's why you go with your base defense because your base defenses have the most adjustments to them. Um, once you start dialing up, oh, this is a specific blitz we want to do against this formation or this personnel, and they have some other layer to that then there's not the, the adjustments aren't built in. So when you go with your base cover two or cover three or cover four, you can deal with anything. They go with they go from uh, two tight ends, one receiver, and two backs, and they explode out of that, and no one's in the backfield, and they go with essentially a five-wide formation. Then your base defense accommodates for that. But if so you're, you're saying more complex defense can't adjust very well? Well, they're more complex, and then you try to use them in very specific, narrow situations – so you're not exploited if they try to get tricky with you on the offensive side of the ball. Well, someone who likes to get tricky with us from time to time is our senior Broncos rider on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline and our buddy Andrew Mason. How are you doing, Andrew? All right. How are you fellas doing? Oh, pretty good. So uh, Chad and I have just been talking about this September 12th matchup. And the idea has been throughout training camp that, look, September football is different. we got to get these guys ready to go for the back end of the season. Um, but when you look at, let's say, for example, the Green Bay Packers over the last three seasons when Nathaniel Hackett's been the coach, last last year they lost the opening game. Then they didn't lose again until November. Okay, So they started off 3-1 and one in September. 2020, they started off 4-0 and oh in September. 2019, they started off 3-1 and one in September. You look at the Chiefs. 2019, they started off 4-0. 2020, they started off 4-0. Last year, they started off 2-2, two and two, then 3-3, three and three, then 3-4, three and four, but they had to go on a 10-1 and one run to end the season. I, I bring up that context to ask you, how important is September football for these Broncos? Well, part of it, it's important, and part of the reason it's important is because of uh, what they close with. And it's a, it's a pretty rigorous six-game stretch to to close out the season. I mean, I think it's important, but I'd say it's important to be, if you're two, if you're two and one in those first three games, I don't think there's any reason to panic. I mean, if they're one and two, then I think, I I think it's fair to be, it's fair to be concerned. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're a fan, yeah, panic. If you're a fan, yeah, panic. Go ahead. Why not? I mean, well, if they lose, run around, to, run around they, with your hands in the air, whatever. <laughs> no, to, Andrew, if they lose to the Seahawks, they beat the Texans, and they lose to the Niners, who were in the NFC Championship game last year, you really do think it's time to panic? I, I, I use concern more than panic because okay. you can you can get out of it. But the thing, the thing that happens, though, if you're one and two, then you're going to have to – you're gonna you're gonna have to start uh, figuring out. Okay, how, are we gonna be able to to steal one that maybe we uh, we weren't expecting? Like right now, every time I project this season out, 
I, I think, all right, They the ideal thing is before they start those last six games that they've got seven, they've got seven or eight wins because in that case, I think it's reasonable to expect them to go three and three. Uh, you could be an excellent team and still go three and three in that in that last six game stretch. As long as they put themselves in position where three and three gets them home and gets them in the playoffs, I think they're I think they're in good shape. But the problem is if you start off getting to that point and in, in making that reasonable to get into the playoffs to close three and three, that means you've got to start I think at least two and one. Otherwise, you can't having that. Having to win at LA uh, in October, for example, on Monday Night Football, and the, and the Broncos uh, the last few years haven't been able to win in LA. Mace, uh, the battle of the Shans on Thursday: Sean McVay versus Sean McDermott. Uh, our coach here, Nathaniel Hackett, is kind of taking a page off the Sean McVay. I'm not playing my starters in the preseason thinking and mindset. And we saw what Sean McDermott did with the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen played against the uh, Denver Broncos, went 3-for-3, three three, uh, a perfect passer rating in that game. So this Thursday's game will, will be a bit of a test of the philosophies of, hey, I play my starters in the preseason versus I don't play my guys at all. How do you expect that to go? And do you think you'll be able to glean any information from Thursday night's game with uh, and extrapolate that out to the Broncos on Monday night? Well, the truth is, I've got the Bills winning that game, but it's not because of the uh, it's not because of the difference in um, in how they prepared. It's because of my concerns about Matthew Stafford's arm at this point. That's that that, that that's the thing. And well, could it have an an impact? Absolutely, it could. But I think there are going to be other factors. Like, for example, I think maybe I think maybe the Buffalo Bills are that are simply a better team right now than the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, you look at a key component of the of the Rams last year in the playoffs was Vaughn Miller and there he, and now he's gonna be rushing pa- rushing the passer from the Buffalo Bills side. And then you've got the uh the elbow issue that uh, Sean, that uh, Matthew Stafford's been dealing with. I mean I think the thing the thing that I think may happen here is if the Bills win this game then I think it may be falsely attributed to the difference in terms of their preseason plan. Whereas I think there are going to be other factors regarding personnel and then in regard in regarding injuries that are in, that are in play. They're actually going to have more of an effect. And the other thing with the Rams is, I mean, they're, this is their sixth year with Sean McVay. A lot of guys have been around. I mean, uh, they know the drill. They, a team like the Rams that is veteran and seasoned and has a lot of players who've been around over the years, isn't going to be as affected by uh, the lack of preseason work as a team uh, like the Broncos uh, potentially could be because you have a new coach, new quarterback, a lot of new pieces, et cetera. You just talked about that new coach of, of the Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett. There's quite a, an experience gap going into this game between the two head coaches. Pete Carroll has coached 257 NFL games. Nathaniel Hackett has coached zero. Do you see that being an advantage for the Seattle Seahawks? Um, I think I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure it ends up as a net advantage because the advantage that Pete Carroll has is maybe, uh, tempered by the fact that Nathaniel Hackett is a little bit of a blank slate and it's sometimes it's harder to prepare for a coach in a team where you don't know how that coach is going to operate in a game and, and the first, the first time out that first game, there is the element of surprise. I think it's. I think in terms of uh, what the Seahawks can do, they can prepare for Russell Wilson the skill set, but 
but they can't necessarily prepare all that much for how the Broncos are going to look, and they can't even prepare for how Nathaniel Hackett's going to uh, uh, going to be in terms of a, a game day, in-game coaching, game manager. So I actually don't think there is an advantage for the Seahawks going into this. This is a bit of a revenge game for uh, maybe Russell Wilson in some ways. Uh, Drew Locke obviously is now out of the running as a starter, so maybe not so much for him. But a guy where revenge hasn't been talked about much is Noah Fant. And he gets a chance to go against a Bronco inside linebacker crew that uh, is a little banged up and hasn't been super productive over the last couple of years dealing with tight ends. Do you think Noah Fant is able to take advantage of the Broncos inside linebackers? Um, potentially, I think, uh, well, it might've helped him a little bit more if Drew Locke had been out there because of the, uh, of the, of the timing that they've had over the years. But, um, I, I actually think no offense going to have a pretty good season for Seattle. I don't, uh, for, for all the ways in which they might struggle, I think, I think Fant may end up being, uh, a strength for them. The, the, the thing is, of course, uh, can Noah Fant turn those short passes into long gains? And that's something that he has not done successfully since uh, since his rookie season, by and large. Uh, so uh, I think that, that that's I think that is that is a question. But certainly, if you're Seattle, this is a matchup against uh, against uh, Alex Singleton and um, and Josie Gould, and more so Alex Singleton uh, dropping into coverage. I think this is a matchup that maybe you do try to that, that you do try to exploit a little bit. But then it's incumbent upon the safeties to, to have. Uh, their contribution help out, and I think that's where the Broncos could have some parity. But I think they'll try to get involved. No, try to get no fan involved early, and uh, we'll we'll see. He's got to, you know, they, they've got to, they've, they've got, he's got to show more after the catch than he has the three years to where you're to the last two seasons specifically to where you're really concerned about this being a game breaking situation. Andrew, ever since Russell Wilson uh, came to Denver. These receivers have been jockeying for position to be his go-to guy, his number one guy, but they have not been in a game situation to show that, to prove that. Which receiver on this roster, or it could be a tight end, which pass catcher do you believe is going to emerge uh, starting on Monday, September 12th, as Russell Wilson's favorite guy? I think it's going to be Cortland Sutton when all is said and done. It's kind of, and look, that's kind of the obvious choice because Russ – Likes to go deep. We know what Sutton can do downfield, especially when you do get him one on one. You know, uh, we've seen uh, we, we've seen the connection work downfield in, in practice, um, and we've seen it more consistently than Russell Wilson hitting Jerry Judy and the tight ends. It's kind of a you know working working that group in the aggregate to a to, to cite a line from a Moneyball. Uh, so I, I would say. It's going to be Cortland Sutton. I'd be surprised at this point if it's not Cortland Sutton who ends up being the most reliable component of that pass catching core. Thanks, Andrew. Good stuff as always. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day. You too. That was Andrew Mason, our senior Broncos writer on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. Hotline. Hey, guys. Did you know that it's King Super's fan football pick on time again? Get registered for your chance to win free groceries for a year before Thursday's kickoff. You got to do it before Thursday. We got an NFL game in two days. Can you believe that? Season's upon us. Sign up at denverfan.com slash picks. Go head to head all season long with us, the fan hosts, and see if you know more about football than we do. Next, Chad Brown is going to enlighten us with distractions. Chad Brown. Next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.